0: So we have just in, been in this impromptu series, and it started with uh, Pastor Rob McCorkle's message in 1 Corinthians 14. It starts out with these two words, pursue love, pursue love. The word love there was not eros, which is sexual love. It wasn't uh, phileo, which is friendship love. It wasn't storgi, which is family love. It was agape love, God, God type of love divine in nature. James Packer, who's a theologian, said this about agape love. He said it was the type of love that was a new invention. It was literally a new Greek word to describe a new way of love. How profound is that? That up until the time of Jesus, humanity had not come up with a word to describe the love they were now feeling and experiencing through Jesus. It was a new word for a new way of love. In 1 Corinthians 12, when I think about what James Packer said there, I'm reminded of how 1 Corinthians 12 segues into 1 Corinthians 13. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. It says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, that is, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But then Paul says this, but now I will show you a still more excellent way. So it's not enough to just be a charismatic church. Pastor Rob McCorkle talked about this. He said that agape needs to be the foundation for the manifestation of the gifts. Because if you manifest the gifts, but you don't have agape, they're not really going to do what you want them to do. He goes on to say this. He said, agape love draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Jesus. In other words, Jesus Christ is the personification or the embodiment of what agape looks like. If you want to see love in a human form, it was Jesus. And so, Pastor Rob mentioned this, that agape love is divinely motivated. It's not a natural affection, but a supernatural fruit of the Holy Spirit. Come on, you guys need to not look at me like you got a, you're a deer in the headlights. Okay, just say Amen and I'll move on. All right, because you know we, we're only at on a short we we got a short window here. It is a matter of will rather than feeling. Man, how how much love is actually worship at the idol of emotion these days? Right? That's what it says. It's a matter of will rather than feeling. He says, it is the basic element of Christ-likeness. So we talked about why do we need to pursue agape love. And last week I primarily focused on the fact that Jesus warns us in the last days that the love of most, the agape love of most, will grow cold in the end of days. And so what what does that mean? That means that we need to preserve we need to fight for it and we need to protect agape love from growing cold. What does cold mean? Cold means numb. It means numb. It, it doesn't mean that it's died. It just means it's no longer active in your life. So you can be in the body and have agape there but choose not to function in it because your love has grown numb. And this is what is the reason why we need to pursue love and protect it and fight for it and cherish it. And so here's the reality. If we do not fight for, protect for, protect and preserve agape love, then what is going to happen is this. All of our efforts to represent Jesus are going to be nullified and miss the mark if they are devoid of that love. They're going to miss the mark. And we see that on Facebook. Because truth without love will not go anywhere. Let's, let's talk about 1 Corinthians 13. What was the first adjective describing agape love in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is what? Okay, what was the second one? <laughs> Got to rearranged. you know what I mean? Love is what? Kind. Scripture says, does not God's kindness produce repentance? So never sacrifice kindness for truth, because you'll never bring someone to repentance. Are you listening to what I'm saying? If love, agape love, is kind, and Scripture says, does not God's kindness produce repentance then you can never sacrifice kindness for truth because you'll never bring someone to repentance that way. And so much of the truth that is spoken in 2020 comes from this posture that misses love. It's just like, this is the truth. If you don't like it, it's your problem. There's no love there. There's no agape there. Can I tell you that when someone loves you unconditionally, you are so open to truth. When, when they, and you know what? Can I tell you what becomes a condition? What becomes a condition where love is turned off is when people don't take your counsel. You just dismiss people. See, I told them and they didn't listen. And that becomes a barrier between you and the person. Can you speak love? Can you speak truth in love and be kind and not take it personal when they don't listen to your counsel? And then come back around and still be there in kindness. Because we all know we had parents that said, don't do that. And you're like, nope. I'm going to do it anyway. I need to touch the stove. Dang, that hurt. Does not God's kindness produce repentance? And so we need to be mindful of why agape is so important. Proverbs 4.23 says this, and and, and it it makes me think about in 2020 why we need to protect, guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. If we are going to be an agape people, then what we need to do is we need to make sure we're paying close attention to what is going on in our hearts in regards to other people. And so, let's just go from there. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes, join me in prayer. Jesus, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that worship set the stage for the word of God to be sown this morning. So, God, I just ask that every heart would be open. Father, that every ear would be inclined to understand. We ask for wisdom from your word. We ask for the power and truth of your word to be spoken in such kindness. God, I even pray that my speech would be seasoned with grace, Lord. And, Father, that we would hear what your spirit is saying to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody ever play hide-and-seek with their kids? Anybody ever play hide-and-seek with your kids? Anybody? Still play hide-and-seek with your, with your little kids? I love playing hide-and-seek with my kids. I am ultra-competitive, even with my own children. I will dunk on my nine-year-old son and have no problem. No problem. Don't stand in my way. I'm going to dunk on you. I'm going to just let you know. I love playing hide-and-seek, and I'm competitive with hide-and-seek. My goal is to hide and my kids just give up. If they're trying to find me, I, just want, I want them to give up. And often what happens, now here's the thing, I will, I, my goal is to see how small of a space I can fit this big body. I have, I have a linen closet upstairs, it's tw- the door is 28 inches wide, I hid this big body, the kids got to 10 and I said, keep counting, you know what I mean, like if you need extra time, keep counting. They counted to like 50 because I was still working on it, but... I hid this big body in the linen closet underneath the bottom shelf and was able to shut the door. Now, I had a problem getting out, but that's besides the point. I will risk it all. I hid, my son knows this, I hid in the utility closet on a ledge behind my furnace for like a half hour. And Gideon's down there and he's like, where are you? And I'm like, I'm in the wall. (laughs) I broke the condensation pipe to the furnace, but that's besides the point. Yeah, I totally stepped on it. What's that noise? And like six months later, there's like water everywhere. So it was worth it though. But I love, I love to play hide and seek. Now what happens a lot is in my playing hide and seek with my kids, I will hide to the point where they finally give up and they're like, daddy, where are you? to which I often respond this way. I'm right here, which doesn't help them. Because right here is subjective, right? My here doesn't necessarily mean it's their here. Now Gideon is able to trace my voice when I say, I'm right here, he's able to trace my voice and navigate to where I am. But the two little ones are still lost. And I do it just to mess with them. You know, they're like, Daddy, where are you? I'm like, I'm right here. And they're just still, I remember I was hiding behind my door into the master bathroom. And Zeke was standing on the other side of the door. And I'm like, I'm right here. And he went back and forth about 10 times. And said in the bathroom laughing about it. Like she's cracking up because she's like, how does he not know? He's still looking. But here is so subjective, and if you don't think it's subjective, pick up a kid on a van route on a Wednesday night that says, hey, I have a friend that lives right around here, because their here is not my here. Their here, my here is around the corner, their here is around 270. It's a different revelation. Here is subjective, right? We all know this. And this is what happens often when we play hide-and-seek. They don't know where my here is. And it's because here is subjective. But do you know that agape is supposed to have a specific address? It's not supposed to be subjective. It's actually supposed to be pinpointed at a specific location. So where is agape's here? Where is agape love supposed to start? Now, we read last week that in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 that agape comes from God or starts with God. I'm not talking about agape's origin. I'm talking about this. Here on the earth, who is agape supposed to start with? And that's where we find ourselves in John chapter 13 verse 33. Let me give you the context of this passage of Scripture. Jesus is at the Last Supper with His disciples. He has just demonstrated the ultimate sign of humility and leadership by washing His disciples' feet. And now He is eating with them and He begins His final teachings or dissertation with His disciples that becomes the content of John chapter 13 through 17 and I want you to listen to what Jesus says at the beginning of this kingdom dissertation picking up in verse 13 Jesus is going to give us agape specific address he says little children I am writing with you a little while longer you will seek me and as I said to the Jews now I say to you where I am going you cannot come but a new commandment I give to you. And here's the address. That you agape one another, even as I have agaped you, so you must also agape one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you agape or if you possess agape for one another. I think Jesus is very clear here where agape's address is supposed to be. It is supposed to be between believers. It's not supposed to start out there. It's actually supposed to start here. Agape actually has to start from believer to believer, and then it goes out there. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Jesus said it was a new commandment from a new covenant. Agape is the alpha and the omega of the Christian life. It's the beginning and the end. It is something that we never graduate out of. We don't... Listen... We don't graduate from agape, we mature in agape. We don't move past agape. we grow in agape. And so often, when you talk about the love of God or agape love, people tend to turn their ears off like, "I've already heard about that." Why do we need to talk about that again? Are we agapeing one another? Because if we aren't, we need to read it again. He said, this is how they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you agape one another. See, I talked about this last week. Storgy love requires the condition that we share each other's blood. We're family. Phileo love requires friendship. Agape love removes every condition. You don't have to be friend. You don't have to be family. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, agape your enemies. Agape your enemies and bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. He was saying there are no conditions or parameters on agape. Every condition you can think of is not a condition for agape. This is what agape does. Agape helps when it's not convenient. It gives even when it hurts. It devotes energy to to others' welfares over our own. It absorbs the hurts of others without complaining or fighting back. You can have amazing church services like this morning... But you do, not become, you do not become the church without agape. I don't want to go to an awesome church. I want to be an awesome church. And being an awesome church requires agape. You can go and be entertained by an awesome church. But does the entertainment, is the entertainment prioritized higher than the love that's displayed between one another? It is the ultimate indicator of our Christian walk. It is the distinguishing trademark of his discipleship in your life. If you call yourself a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, where he is your teacher, he is your tutor, if agape is not on display, you're missing it. It is the distinguishing trait or trademark of discipleship it is the call of every believer it is the mandate of every disciple it's God's standard for Christian living it is our foundation but it is not elementary as first Corinthians 12 ended it is the more excellent way the evidence of agape love in your life is the indication That your faith in Jesus has permeated who you are. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through or permeating the way that you agape people. We have like a faith movement movement in America. But where's agape? We can can talk about sowing and prospering, and we can talk about making declarations, and we can talk about standing in faith and stepping out in faith and doing all those things. But Paul said your circumcision and uncircumcision doesn't mean anything but faith actually invading the way that you agape people. How has your faith in Jesus permeated the way that you love? Jesus knew. That's awfully quiet. Jesus knew that if the world could see his agape love demonstrated in the way that his disciples interacted with one another, then the world wouldn't be able to resist it. Humanity at large has an internal longing For agape we all want to be in relationship and fellowship with people who agape us without any conditions or any strings attached the body of christ has the privilege of putting agape on display for all the world to see and how does that happen it is god birthed and god initiated and god sustained but it flows from our abiding in christ It is is to happen in the church before it happens outside of the church. Agape starts in the house and then only then it flows into the streets. Agape love starts here in the church. It is to start in Redeemers. Can I ask you a question this morning? What are we inviting people to come and see if we don't agape one another here. He said, you agape one another, even as I have agape you. See, your agape does not look like self-effort and duty and obligation and grit and determination. It looks like loving others the way that Jesus displayed it in Scripture. Scripture. It means that you don't just freely receive Jesus' agape without freely giving it to other people. Matthew 10, 8. Freely you receive, now freely you give. To agape others requires that you do not become a pond of God's agape for you, but that you become a stream of God's agape through you. Are you a pond or a stream for Agape the pond tends to center around a consumeristic mentality in the body. So when I sing how he loves us, it often translates into how he loves me, not the other person. You know, there's a reason why the word is us. Because it also involves the person you don't like. That's how he loves. So what does agape love look like? What is it supposed to look like here? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. I love how it describes agape here, and we're mostly familiar with this passage of Scripture, but let me give you some context. The Corinthian church was thriving. The Corinthian church was in revival in so many ways that we would want revival. Okay, Paul actually talked about uh, how they were in revival. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. He said, they lacked no operation of any spiritual gift. Every single spiritual gift that you read about in 1 Corinthians 12 was activated and was actually an operation in their services and in their church culture. But he, he goes from 1 Corinthians 1 to 1 Corinthians 13 because there was one thing they were lacking in the midst of everything else, and that was an agape love. For one another, and what he understood is, if they get agape, everything else will come, everything else will flow. Do you understand that agape is often the stumbling block for revival and the stumbling block for everything else that we wish to see? And so he's like, "Look, you you, you're backwards. I love that you have every gift and you lack none of them, but without love, you are." Nothing. And so he says this. So he begins to address what they were lacking. Now, as we sang the song, How He Loves, I want you to do an activation. As we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want you to personalize this. Because this is God's agape for you. Okay? Okay? Can I tell you that um, Allison and I, like, we like to joke, like, when we use superlatives, like, you always and never, because it's always in negative connotations. You never take out the trash. That's not true. Just in the last week. Okay? It's fake news. (laughs) Check your facts. But can I tell you what's amazing about 1 Corinthians 13 is that God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So literally, every one of these is always. This is his always agape for everyone in the room. Now, I want you to think about that as we read. Agape in verse 4, picking up in verse 4. This is in the Passion Translation. His agape is large and incredibly patient for you. His agape is gentle and consistently kind to you. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to you. Agape does not brag, or his love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflates its own importance. That talks about the humility of God. Agape, his agape, does not traffic in shame and disrespect for you nor does he selfishly seek his own honor. His love is not easily irritated with you, nor quick to take offense at you. His agape joyfully celebrates your honesty and finds no delight in what you do that is wrong. His agape is a safe place of shelter for you. Listen, it never stops believing in in you and your best His agape never takes your failure as defeat, and he never gives up on who you are. His agape never stops loving you. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. It is more enduring than speaking in tongues, which will one day fall silent. His agape remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Now, that felt good, didn't it? Now, I want you to think about the person that you don't like. And we're going to read that with them in mind. His agape is large and incredibly patient towards them. His agape is gentle and consistent towards them. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to them. His agape does not brag about his own achievements, nor inflates his own importance. His agape does not traffic in their shame and disrespect, nor does he seek his own honor. His agape is not irritated easily with them or takes quick offense with them. Are you thinking anything politically? You do know that Republicans and Democrats are going to be in heaven. You do know that, right? It's going to happen. Now, those parties won't be in existence there, but the people will be. His agape joyfully celebrates their honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. His agape is a safe place of shelter for them, for it never stops believing the best over them. His agape never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Listen to me. In this passage... Paul is not only defining our limited understanding of agape, um, but he is also providing a list of the attributes of agape that we are to use as a measuring rod of the flow of agape in our lives. 1 Corinthians 13 is a mirror. It is a measuring rod. It is a way that you can look to see whether or not you're functioning in agape. Are you always in any of those attributes? And the hopeless answer is no. But that's kind of the point of 1 Corinthians 13. You can't agape without God. So when you are functioning in agape, that's why they will know. Because it is impossible to agape without God. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we can get so overwhelmed. We can be like, how is that possible? Nothing is impossible with with the God of agape. But you have to abide in agape to agape people. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And that's why it's so supernatural. That's why it's so, so amazing. That's why they, who don't even have the capacity to agape, will see that it's a different way of love. Because they don't even have that in them. Because as 1 John said, you have to be born of God and know God to agape. That's why it's so unique and so special. Does your love for one another in here look like that list? See, if it doesn't, we need to grow. Now here's where I want to land the sermon. Agape love has to begin here in the body of Christ. And here's why. From believer to believer. Because unity is essential to the effectiveness of the kingdom. Unity is essential. Colossians 3, 12-14. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Say forgive. forgive. You can't have agape without forgiveness. Because if you require them to, for, to uh, repent or them to, uh, to uh, ask for your forgiveness, that becomes a condition for agape. He says this, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And verse 14. And because because of all these things, put on agape, which is the perfect bond of unity. Agape perfects unity. The unity of the body of Christ is contingent on agape. And here's why it's so important. Because as a world around us continues to become more and more divided, the effectiveness of the church in that culture demands unity. A divided world needs the church to remain united. We cannot be picked apart by everything that everyone out there is being picked apart by. And then come in here and hold on to those things and pick apart each other by those things. We are allowing the divisive spirit that is demonic to come in and prevent the flow of the Holy Spirit and the agape from functioning. We have to fight from here and then go out there. We cannot allow that to come in here and cause division. Because all we are becoming is a pawn of the enemy to bring disruption. A divided house can't stand that's why you need to fight for agape, preserve agape, protect agape from one, with one another. If you're offended, you need to go to the person and make reconciliation. You need to forgive. We need to love. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That's how you fight for it. That's how you protect it. That's how you preserve it. Unity is not uniformity. Let me remind you. We're not asking for uniformity. Listen, kingdom unity does not mean agreeing on everything. However, it means agreeing on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ and him, unif- uh, him crucified, Him resurrected, the Holy Spirit. Unity is the Christ-like decision to honor each other, to disagree without disrespect. Which cancel culture is all about, if you disagree with me, you're done. Why, how have we gotten to that point where we can't even respectfully disagree anymore? Right. How have we gotten to that point? Right. Unity means you can disagree without disrespect. Unity means that I can disagree with Betty, because we disagree all the time, <laughs> <laughs> but we can maintain honor. Right. That, you know what that requires? That means. That I do not dehumanize the fact that you were made in the image of God because of your stance. And we have all that happening in the political spirit, neglecting the fact that all of these people that do have contentious words and, and are fighting against each other, we're all made in the image of God, even though they're not displaying it. Honor each other, disagree without disrespect. To agape one another means to refuse bitterness, to have necessary conversations with one another for the purpose of moving forward. Next time you see a Facebook post that you don't like, why don't you Facebook message the person instead of commenting? And say, hey, I'm just curious about what you believe, and why you believe it. Can we go out and get some coffee and just talk about it? Because that honor invested will yield more fruit in that relationship than tagging an article that you only read the title to. Do you know 75% of the articles on Facebook are shared without people reading the article? They just read the heading. And then you feel salty because someone who actually read the article that you tagged said, did you read the article? And you're like, I'm unfriending you because I feel real stupid right now because I didn't read it. This is real life right here. Say it, Refuse bitterness. Refuse bitterness. Have necessary conversations with one another for the purpose of moving forward. Can I tell you, I took someone out to lunch about a month ago that was involved in the protesting downtown because I wanted to understand. Where's your heart? I just want to understand where you come from. Why, why are you there? What's going on? Now, I didn't, I didn't go down, and I wasn't actually a pro... We're allowed to protest, but not riot. Right? That's, that's, that's where lawlessness abounds when it's taken a step further, but I wanted, why are you down there, what's, how do you, how do you feel, and this was a young African-American man that I have relationship with, and we disagreed on some things, but you know what, we actually agreed on more than we disagreed on, but you'll never find that out if your relationship never goes beyond Facebook, Refuse bitterness. Have necessary conversations with one another for the purpose of moving forward. Unity exists when we focus on what is most important and we don't allow what we disagree with to end a relationship. And this is the last one. Agape love is the perfect bond of unity because it makes no room, room for people to remain polarized. It doesn't afford people the opportunity to to pin people into one of two categories. Now, I'm going to share what that means. See, one of the reasons why we, are so, we can be so disunified is because being polarized requires something that I like to call being binary. Now, I'm going to explain what that means. This is why agape sometimes gets distorted and we don't agape one another. A friend of mine uh, wrote this on Facebook and I actually thought it was one of the best things that I had written or read on Facebook for a long time. And I, I saved it because I thought it was it an was accurate truth in light of everything culturally going on. He said this, this is the definition of binary, relating to, composed of, or involving two things. The saddest characteristic of culture is the tendency to reduce everyone to binary agendas for the simplicity of understanding. There are good guys and there are bad guys. There is right and there is wrong. There's black and there's white. The inability to discern, understand, and hold with tension, the nuance of complication has reduced our nation to us against them. Most things are not binary. I can mourn with the African American community and still appreciate law enforcement. I can be for demonstrations while being against looting and rioting. I can hope for the best while fearing for the worst. I can want demonstrations and change while fearing for the safety of everyone involved. Don't allow your story, your identity, your understanding or the live stories and narratives of other people to be reduced to two options. There is more than that. And you'll never discover that. And can I tell you, if we were to just sit and think about the people that we have disagreements with, we have lumped them into one of two categories. We don't allow the nuance of the fact that they're a human being and maybe they're not a bad person, they made a mistake. Hello. Maybe, can I tell you that mainstream media has a goal? They're all, they're all ran by entertainment companies. You do know that, right? And what, they're, what the Democratic media is going to give you is the furthest right news. So everyone who is Republican is in the Ku Klux Klan. It got real quiet. And then the, the Republican media is going to make every Democrat... A communist and socialist. And what that does is it makes no room in America for people to actually be moderate politically. And maybe the things that we don't like about other parties are not even a high priority on the list of that person as to why they're politically affiliated that way. Maybe the reason why they're that way is they grew up that way. But if you don't sit down and have a conversation with a person, face to face, and understand why they came to the conclusions they came to, why they are the way they are, you will never discover the nuance of the fact that it's not one or the other. Can I tell you, in the body of Christ, you can love the police, but not like the injustices. You can can be democratic and not hate republicans. And vice versa. This is the kingdom. Where does your allegiance lie? When, when you walk through those doors, you need to take off every, every coat, every layer that allows for division to remain in here and put on agape when you walk in the door. And say, you know what, they may cause us to have complications out there, but in this place, we are going to have a perfect bond of unity and remove every condition that I would place on you for me to love you. Because it's bigger than this. And once again, I said this last week, we need to leave grace for people if they don't have the revelations that we have. And say it's okay, maybe they're not there. Hey, uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Every time my wife wanted me to do something that I was stubborn-headed and I didn't want to do, she went to the prayer closet, and then my heart changed. Try the same thing with the people that you don't like. Because it's impossible for you to hate someone that you pray for. You know why? Because when you get into God's throne room, you get God's perspective on the person. And you begin to fall in love with the very person that you didn't like because we didn't agree on everything. And you begin to have compassion, and you begin to have humility, and you you begin to realize that maybe you're wrong. Because so so much that so much that is posted on Facebook. But let me just tell you, like I just I just observe, I just rarely post. I just I, you know, like I'm just looking at the feed and just watching people just hate each other, and I'm like, I'm not getting in it. I'm not getting in it. But so much of what we post on Facebook is from a posture that we're absolutely right. Have you ever posted something and then it came to be wrong and you're like, oh. We cannot allow division to come in here and just cause us to fight against each other because this is why unity is so important for the effectiveness of the kingdom and I'll be done. Unity is so important for the effectiveness of the kingdom because when we allow the division that is demonic out there to come in here, all we will do is infight and we'll never be effective out there because we will just continue to put out fires here. Instead of reaching out with the agape that we're supposed to put on display. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got, to, I got a homework assignment for you. <clears throat> you can go ahead and stand. I have a homework assignment for you. And it's totally up to you. You don't have to do it. I'm not going to not agape you if you don't do the homework assignment. But if you have a heart to say, I want to be one of unity. I want to be one that in the body fights for it, protects it, preserves it. I want to be that person. I actually want you to look up a sermon on YouTube. And if I had more time, I would just steal all of this guy's material and preach it myself, but I won't do that. The, the man, his name is, if you want to post that up it's called The Third Option. Anybody ever seen this? Okay. If you really want to be a part of the solution, I just want you to watch this. Miles McPherson is an African-American pastor in uh, California. He has a unu- unique experience, and he actually was an ex-NFL um, player, became a pastor, and his whole sermon is about the fact that we don't have two options. We have three. We don't have to be good or bad, one or the other, us versus them. There's actually a third option. And so I just want you to take a look at that. If you have the time, it's about 28 minutes on your own time. Watch it, have discussions in your home about it, whatever, because I really believe that it will help us. In transform, transforming our hearts in regard to unity and love. Lastly, John 13, going back to it. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where, am I, where I am going, you cannot come. And he says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you. It was a new commandment for a new covenant. That you love each other Agape. Even as I have agape you, that you will also agape one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you agape one another. This is going to be the last thing I say, and I'm going to end with a humorous point because I think it's so funny. The next verse, remember that, the last supper dinner. Jesus has this, this so sincere moment with all the disciples. He says... I'm about to go. I'm about to go and I'm about to die on the cross. I've got got a commandment for you that you agape one another as I have agaped you. He said, where I'm going, you cannot go. And in verse 36, Peter doesn't say amen. He's like, where are you going, Jesus? I want to go with you. And Jesus is like, did you not just hear what I said? Often what happens is that we sacrifice agape for a superior revelation. I heard you, Jesus. I get the love thing. But, like, I want to be in the exclusive club to know where you're going instead of everybody else. Just want to know. Let me know. Where are you going? I want to have that revelation. Let's be humble in what we know and not compromise agape because we think we know something better than somebody else. Father, I just pray in this house against division. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this house would be preserved. I pray it would be protected. I pray that we would be united. I pray that we would fight for agape in this house, Father. That division would not be allowed here. That we can disagree, but we can still preserve honor. That we can agape one another even as, as, as you have agaped us, Lord. That we could remove the conditions. Father, I even pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be like you. We would be full of grace and full of truth. That we would not sacrifice grace for truth and not sacrifice truth for grace. But, Father, that we would be full of both, Lord, that the truth that we speak would come from agape, that it would be kind, that it would be sincere, that it would be pure, it would be patient, it would be gentle, it would be faithful, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this would be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, Father, that without a shadow of a doubt, people would be able to come in here and they would be able to see a supernatural love in existence, flourishing, thriving, Father, in this house. God. I even pray that we would repent from the times that we allowed a political or religious spirit to put someone in a box and say you're not allowed to ever move beyond that point. Father, I pray that we would abound in love, Lord Jesus, that our love would not grow cold. That you would be glorified that they would know that we are Christians by the way that we agape one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. We will see you next week. Sorry for going long. Get shirts if you want. We'll talk to you later.